Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed. And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. And this is our monthly look at the politics of Russia and of Eastern Europe. It's kind of a shame that um, one of my favorite podcasts recently ended. Uh, That's the Previously in Europe one. Uh, You might have known these guys. They were on my show a couple of times discussing things about uh, politics here, and I was on theirs, and they've decided to quit that show because one of the hosts, well, he recently got a kid... And um, that's a pretty big reason, because they can't really air it. So I'll kind of try to contact them, and maybe figure something out, because that was a great show about European politics in general, and um, I was recommended to listen to it by one of my listeners, Peter, and it was pretty great while it lasted, but um, yeah, current plans are to um, maybe cooperate with them and release at least monthly, maybe? Because, well, still, sometimes we have to talk about politics here. But, um, unlike usually, where I talk about some tragedies and whatever, this time, well, I've picked some news stories from Russia that might interest you. They could be just fun in general, because I think that this month has been crazy and weird for everyone. So, in a way, all these studies are the most interesting elements that have happened recently. And although Navalny is still in prison and his health is deteriorating and there are important stuff that's going on, it kind of all ties in to these stories as well. For one, you better hide your bikes, I guess, if you're a person who works with um, other people in some service industry. Yeah, I guess that has a brand new meaning, so to speak, now as well. So, let's get started with our monthly look at whatever happened, meanwhile in Russia, in uh, March. But first, I think that we would need to look at Strasbourg, France. Yes, yes, I know, this show is called The Eastern Border, but it just shows that you can take a Soviet man out of the post-Soviet sphere, but it's really, really hard to take the post-Soviet sphere and the Soviet Union out of a Soviet man. You see, on March the 22nd, French media reports said some pretty weird things. According to the reports from the French media, as reported by Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty, a 40-year-old driver from the Russian diplomatic mission was detained for questioning on February 
14th, but released 24 hours later as police pursued investigation. He was suspected of selling stolen bicycles. And um, apparently, when police wanted to question the suspect for a second time later in February, they were informed by the consulate that he had returned to Russia for, quote, health reasons, unquote. That's weird enough already, but, um, yeah, the whole story is even stranger. You see, the police launched the probe after an expensive electric bicycle belonging to the former deputy mayor of Strasbourg, Alain Fontanelle, was stolen on a street near Strasbourg's diplomatic quarters. Fontanelle turned to police after he saw his bike offered for sale on the local advertising uh, webpage LeBonCoin. And police, well, used this information to contact the seller who agreed to sell the bike at a site just next to the Russian consulate. The man had a fake receipt of purchase with a Russian consulate stamp along with Fontenelle's bike identified by its serial number. And, well, he had three other bikes at hand to sell. Police found out later that about 300 advertisements for high-quality bikes had been posted on this advertisement site since January 2020, representing a potential value of up to 100,000 euros, which is about $120,000. And, well, the investigation continues as prosecutors currently are weighing whether to proceed with the trial, even if the suspect remains out of reach. That's what the Western media reported on this one, but as it turns out, as I dug through this and more information on the Russian media, because I posted about this on Facebook and Eastern Border Twitter, which you should totally follow me on, because, well, that's where you can get kind of short snippets of news updates and the most interesting stuff that's happening, so please follow us on Twitter and Facebook and, and of course, Patreon and and other stuff. But, um, yeah, apparently he was released on the kind of this notice that he wouldn't, you know, leave the country. And although he did not have a diplomatic passport himself, this, you know, driver, apparently that was a driver for the consul. His buddy, who was also tied into all this mess, apparently, with whom he had worked, had one, because this person was not alone. Well, that kind of makes sense, since everyone there is definitely in some capacity working with the Russian secret services, after all. As from previous times, uh, as from Soviet era, they definitely have some underground stuff going on there, which the consul might himself or herself not even know about. He definitely had contacts and accomplices within the whole consulate thing. After all, it's documented that he even got the stamp and fake purchase papers and everything. So, obviously, they uh, bailed him out. And we don't know uh, the man's name, and we don't know where he is in Russia, but, well, like one of the comments stated on my post on Facebook about all of this mess is that he probably is um, somewhere secure inside of Russia, and he probably got a medal for this as well. Not even surprising. I mean, everyone else is stuck inside of Russia and uh, receiving their nice little salaries. And if you think about it, even a driver who's 40 and he's on a diplomatic mission there, he must, like, receive really good salary by, well, at least Russian standards. So, you know, you might think that someone would not risk uh, their position like this by committing crimes in another country. However... I often mention that books by Ilf and Petrov, especially The Golden Calf and The Twelve Chairs, and at the ending of The Golden Calf, where one of the Ostabenders, the main character's accomplices, uh, together with whom he had acquired a million rubles, which was a lot of money at the time the book was written, 
yeah, he's given his share of the money and he uh, basically takes a tram to get from the city center to the station with his money and begin his new life. But as main character's accomplice, as this accomplice enters the tram, he just automatically pickpockets older lady's bag and takes her purse and he gets arrested and all his stolen money gets taken away from him. And when uh, the main character of the Golden Cough, Osta Bender, looks at him, the poor accomplice just stares in shock and says, Well, I did this with just machine automatics. I'm just so used to this that I couldn't stop myself. Yeah, not often you can see kind of parallels with classic Soviet comedy literature. It's a dark comedy, but it's still a a funny story and everything. Not often you can see such parallels in real-world news. So if you live somewhere near or work somewhere near the Russian embassy and there's, like, Soviet people around there, yeah, you you just make sure that uh, you put your bike somewhere that they can't see it because I'm pretty sure that even if you lock down your bike, they'll find a way how to how to steal it. But it is kind of silly seeing that inside of Russia there's all this unemployment and and trouble, and even Roscosmos engineers receive like about two hundred and fifty dollars per month. Well, that's the job postings anyway. So for what reason, if you've managed to work? in an embassy in France, why would you do that? Then again, like I said, there is a lot of weird employment options there in Russia as well. For example, you might join the National Guard, which also did a bit of a weird, unexplainable thing lately. You see, sometimes I get the feeling that um, Russian media and Russian governmental institutions have gone into this corruption mode and stealing stuff mode in such an automatic fashion has been normalized so much that they sometimes even forget that what they're doing kind of isn't normal. So I totally can imagine why that guy stole all those bikes and tried to sell them just next to the consulate and he just couldn't even imagine that this was something abnormal. Because, you know, such things happen all the time. And it's hard to believe all this stuff and, you know, it wouldn't totally ride in the West and it didn't. But this is another example of basically the same thing, and why probably the guy should apply for Rosgvardia, which is the Russian National Guard, which is the internal police, personally responsible and uh, kind of obedient to the president. Because, you see, on Friday, March 26th, one of the Russian state TV channels, well, they're 90% of them are state-owned and everything else is super tiny and available only through streaming or internet, but one of these channels... GTRK Mariel aired a news segment about a female inspector from the Russian National Guard, Rosgvardia. Her name was Alina Klencheva. And uh, the segment, which can still be found on the internet, the segment begins with a voiceover recalling Klencheva's childhood dreams. It describes her as a modest and shy girl who chose to serve in the Russian National Guard primarily because she, quote, wanted to work with people. The segment then turns to Klencheva herself. Quote, Rosgvardia, well, it was my childhood dream, which has come true to date, she told the camera. I've been working here for ten years already. There were no definite goals, of course, but that's the police. It has always been law, order, a lawful attitude towards people. Working with people. Now, that's a nice kind of a motivational speaking thing and and idealistic look at the whole situation there. 
But um, as you might have understood by this point, there there's a catch. There's always a catch when it comes to all these news stories and everything. Because otherwise, uh, this news channel wouldn't have taken down the whole part of the news segment from their own website. And everywhere they could. But internet remembers. Because you see, the catch here is that Miss um, Klinchiva was speaking here. The shot was so perfect that her fellow officers were seen in the background of the shot beating up a mannequin with their truncheons. You know, the police batons. The video then caught to Klenchiva watching one of her colleagues attack the mannequin and just beating him up and practicing how to beat up people. Then there's this nice voiceover which just added this, just this perfect exclamation mark at the end of this whole thing to make it all just so much beautiful. I mean, Tukhachevsky, if you listen to my previous episode, would definitely be proud. Quote, With such officers of the Russian National Guard as these, resistance to law and order is certainly no use. Yeah, I think, I think that they, um, this working with people thing and um, resisting them of being no use, yeah, it hits home a bit too hard here. Um, yeah, it's kind of bad when... In your official propaganda news material where you uh, explain to people that you like working with people and that the resistance is futile and in the background the police officers are training how to beat up mannequins with their police batons. That, that doesn't really work for PR. And they didn't catch on. They didn't catch on until people started mocking them on the internet. Obviously, the full segment was previously available on their website. However, the webpage with the video, the video itself, has since been taken down. And even though Russia has its own YouTube analog, Yandex TV, yeah, they also deleted it everywhere they could. They took it out. And similar things happened when, um, on one of the Belarusian, because, you know, the protests are going to return there soon and stuff's happening there, when the Belarusian official state television which defends Lukashenko and his beatings of and protesters and everything. Well, when one of the journalists, and I paused here because I really, I'd rather say propaganda agents, but technically they're journalists on paper. Well, let's call them that, but they have nothing to do with obvious journalism. You see, uh, recently, on the 25th of March, they were sent out in the streets because that's first Belarusian Independence Day which uh, had signified their independence from the Soviet Union in 1981 with uh, their flag, which is totally different from Belarus's current flag, which Lukashenko changed back to the Soviet one. It has always been a date with kind of opposition actions and Belarusian patriotism against Lukashenko. And obviously this year, some minor protests also happened, and the police in total arrested about uh, 30 to 50 people, some sources say it was a hundred and more. Others say it was basically nothing. But objectively looking at things, it ranges in somewhere between 30 and 100 because vetting reports from various cities. But the story here is that this news site worker, again, I take a pause because I really can't bring myself to call this guy journalist. Yeah, he walked out and um, kind of shot from Minsk from the capital of Belarus, and talked in his news segment about how there are no protests today and no arrests uh, have been made and how everything's peaceful and nice. But he was doing that live, and uh, again, an unfortunate shot happened. 
And on that news segment, you could literally see special forces units of the Belarusian police arresting people and beating them up in the background while he's happily standing on the square and pronouncing that no arrests or protests are happening this day. Obviously, they took that down too. Like I said, sometimes, you know, lying and ignoring whatever they're showing and just, you know, he was told to make such a fake news segment and that's what he did. No one cares that the facts got in the way of that process. Same with the National Guard. That's really, you know, you you must just care so little about everything and everyone. I mean, kind of shows that these authoritarian leaders are just not afraid of their people. They're not afraid of the media and they just don't care in such a great deal that they don't even bother to hide that they're lying from people. And another example of very same thing, totally disregarding any facts or truth, happened earlier this month as well. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You see, Crimea's tourism ministry reported on its website on March 11th, 2021, quote, delegates from China came to gauge the peninsula's tourism potential, promoting a visit by a supposed Chinese delegation that Russian news outlets have described as both official and representative. The pro-Kremlin media has touted and yelled about this trip as a sign of new prospects for Crimea Chinese economic cooperation, because that's important as, well, China has not legally recognized Crimea as part of Russia, and they still work with Ukraine, and all this Crimea thing is very sketchy, as obviously Ukrainians have a lot of issues with, you know, Crimea being Russian. But in this case, well, like I said, such a little thing as facts and truth do not get in the way of Russian pro-Kremlin media, because if you look at it, 
almost no one in Beijing had even heard about this visit. Uh, there, there might be various reasons for this. You know, China's a large place. Beijing's huge. Communist Party is also a huge bureaucratic institution. Documents might might travel slowly, and and people in the Communist Party might not know about what other people are doing because they're from different segment there. But there's also another explanation of this. There's a slight possibility that the Chinese government don't know anything about an official visit to Crimea because the three delegation members just so happen to actually be just businessmen from wholesale markets in Moscow, and they literally are not from China. They're expats. Vladislav Gonjara, the director of the Crimean State Foundation for Supporting Entrepreneurship, told Sputnik Radio that um, Gonzara had met directly with the delegates, and um, he stated, quote, We were visited by an official delegation from the People's Republic of China. This was the first visit by a foreign delegation since our country and the whole world started gradually lifting the conditions imposed under the realities of COVID. Again, if you um, ever hear something from Sputnik Radio or Sputnik TV, uh, there is a reason why those channels are mostly banned throughout the EU. Just saying. According to a Crimean Tourism Ministry's press release, the Chinese representatives visited several wineries and resorts and also joined a roundtable discussion with several senior government officials, including Crimea's Council of Ministers, Deputy Chairperson and Finance Minister Irina Kiviko, and the Resorts and Tourism Deputy Minister Yulia Martinenko. The peninsula's Chinese guests were particularly taken with Crimea's production of chicken feet, which are considered a delicacy in China. Southern Regional Export Support Center acting director Ksenia Slutskaya told all of this to Vesti Krim, or the News of Crimea. Apparently, the visit took place in early March, but Russian national news networks didn't report it until March 15th. In connection with allegations made by Vladimir Drabinovich, a Ukrainian lawmaker from the pro-Russian political party Opposition Platform for Life, who wrote on Facebook on March 14th that the Chinese visit to Crimea could be a counter-move by Beijing in response to Kiev seizing the aerospace company Motorsich, one of the world's largest producers of engines for helicopters and planes. You see, that happened because the Chinese aviation firm Skyrizen had sought a controlling stake in the business, about 56%, and had purchased it, prompting the United States and then Ukrainian sanctions on the grounds of predatory investments and an acceptable risk of diversion to military and use. You see, on the same day, March 15, the Russian news agency, Ria Novosti, asked the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson, Zhao Lijian, to comment on Rabinovich's remarks, but the diplomats said merely that China's position on Crimea remains unchanged and urged against politicizing the business activities of Chinese companies. Nevertheless, the state-run news network, Russia 24, or Russia 24, continued to link the situation surrounding Motorsich to Crimea's Chinese delegation, describing three of the visitors as members of China's Beijing's Export-Import Commission. The problem is, there is no such thing as Beijing's Export-Import Commission. And Chinese sources, from Xinhua and the People's Daily, which is the newspaper of the Chinese Communist Party's Central Committee, to official social media accounts ran by Chinese state agencies, have not reported anything whatsoever about a delegation traveling to Crimea. However, Crimea's tourism ministry continues, quote, The delegation from the People's Republic of China included Russian-Chinese Friendship Association Deputy Director Chen Shanwen, 
Kaisheng Beijing Export Import Trading Company CEO Zhao Kai and Haolong Board of Directors Chairperson Chen Yang. And, well, our colleagues from Medusa had learned from their sources in the Chinese kind of expat community that um, they, Chen Shawen and Chen Yang, both own 33% of the Haolong Company, which is registered in the Chinese city of Ruyan, located in China's Zhejiang province. Records identify the entity as a small business engaged in the production of leather, fur, and feather goods. It also sells footwear. And there is no Russian-Chinese Friendship Association. There is no such thing as Beijing Export-Import Trading Company. Because, in fact, all of these three Chinese delegates are long-time residents of Moscow, where they're also established businessmen, which city's Chinese diaspora told my colleagues from Medusa. Members of this Chinese business diaspora say they recognize their colleagues in footage from the delegation's visit to Crimea. Apparently, all these three people are closely linked, selling consumer goods at wholesale and retail markets in Moscow, like the Moskva and the Sadovod trading centers. And apparently, they were totally unaware of this delegation's visit to Crimea until they were asked by the correspondents about this visit and noting that they saw nothing about the trip on Chinese social network WeChat, where they get their news. So, obviously, it was just invented to make these people look good. But as we have um, looked at, basically, things that the media reports and everything, at some points, at some points, all of this mess is so weird that um, even scientists are involved with spreading fake news. You see... This last story is um, probably the most painful to speak about because, well, this involves men of science and, uh, you know, I know that in a lot of places people complain that the media twists the narrative and that we should trust doctors and scientists, but they're people too. And sometimes, sometimes even they fall for weird issues and, and do bad things. Because scientists in Siberia have decided to conceal the report of pollution research ahead of September's elections, fearing a, quote, political bombshell, end quote. This is a story both funny and sad, as most of my studies are. You see, the Siberian branch of the Russian Academy of Sciences recently decided to withhold public access to new research on atmospheric and soil pollution in cities throughout the region, according to journalist at Taiga.info, who obtained streamed footage of the conference where scientists shared their findings. The Academy later hid the video on YouTube after several senior presidium members cited political concerns about influencing election outcomes this fall. You see, on March 25th in Novosibirsk, Soran Atmospheric Optics Institute director Igor Ptashnik presented a paper that drew on open sources, including data from Russia's Hydrometeorology and Environmental Monitoring Federal Service, and in one slide during his presentation, Ptashnik stated that 78% of the 20 worst polluted cities in Russia are located in Siberian Federal District, where 23 different cities have a high air pollution index scores, including 9 cities in the Irkutsk region, 5 in the Krasnoyarsk territory, and 3 in the Kemerovo region. A whopping 99% of the people who reside in the Taimir Peninsula are living in high air pollution. That's the conclusion of the scientists. 
The most common pollutant in the 14 of Siberia's worst affected cities is a compound known as benzopyrene, a highly carcinogenic hydrocarbon. Scientists detected the highest concentrations of benzopyrene in Norilsk, Novokuznetsk, and Krasnoyarsk, and levels exceeded permissible concentrations by 116 times in the city of Kizil and 88 times in the city of Abakan. The new research also describes extensive soil pollution throughout Siberia. For example, 68% of the surface runoff in the Tomsk region is polluted. In the Novosibirsk region, this figure is 82%. Siberia's most polluted soil can be found in Svirsk and Norilsk, where the earth is littered with heavy metals like lead, zinc, nickel, and copper. In Novokuznetsk, the ground has high concentrations of nitrates and fluorides. And, if we're talking about Norilsk, then you might remember that we've been um, mentioning this about a couple of months ago, I say four or five, when a massive, world's largest even, gasoline spill happened when 20,000 tons of gasoline poured just straight into the soil and into the groundwaters and polluted massive rivers of Siberia, turning them pink, which could be seen from satellites, and the water in people's tap would burn. Yeah. And also remember that in Siberia we recently reported that um, they had a massive spill of unknown chemicals in the Pacific Ocean, which basically killed all the wildlife in the Russian coast of Pacific uh, up there in the north. And surfers had reported that they had chemical burns from even like standing on the shores there. All these mines and all these extraction industries of Siberia, yeah, they just don't care about any ecology whatsoever and they pollute like crazy not anything about any carbon capture or or safe coal or whatever safe or anything ecology related because nobody cares because well then you then you have to actually worry about safety and uh, we've also mentioned on the show previously that russia even has like dangerous chemical waste and dangerous toxic waste and, and nuclear waste just standing in uncovered barrels and and some so-called dangerous waste landfills where also no one cares. You see, and all this has led to researchers finding high incidences of disease among residents in Kemerovo, Krasnoyarsk and various other cities. For example, scientists linked pollution to cancer in Krasnoyarsk, congenital development effects in the Kemerovo, and various children's diseases in the Altai territory. And Altai territory is sad because... Well, that's where the river Daugo, which runs through Latvia as well, yeah, that's where it begins, which is a bad thing if they really pollute that. After Potashnik's presentation of all these scary facts, members of um, Russian Academy of Sciences, Siberian Branch Presidium, briefly discussed the findings before deciding not to publish the research. Senior scholar Valentin Paramon stated, quote, there is no need to act like alarmists. The hydrometeorology service doesn't have enough accurate instruments and their results could be incorrect. Other presidium members expressed political concerns explicitly. Alexei Kontorovich, who founded the branch's oil and gas geology institute, cautioned against riling up locals with unnecessary questions. Quote, Imagine if we published these reports with such dense information. It would be like dropping a bomb just ahead of the elections. Then what would happen? The results are hard to predict. We haven't the right to do this, he argued. Asked about the decision to withhold the new pollution research, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov told journalists on Monday that Putin administration played no role in the process. 
That was the scientists' own decision, so go ask them, Peskov stated. Obviously, as I have mentioned before, later this year, in early September, Russia will hold nationwide parliamentary elections, and in roughly half the regions across the country, there will also be down-ballot contests for local offices. See, scientists did this because they're getting funding from the government. And uh, they could lose all their funding, and they could be fired or punished in other ways. And this ties into a thing that I mentioned in the previous news segment, which was last month. Because, well, on Tuesday, March 16th, the State Duma adopted the third and final reading on reforms to Russia's education regulations, adding new restrictions to, quote, the dissemination of knowledge outside formal academic programs, such as popular science initiatives and probably even Wikipedia and the mass media. Deputies from the country's ruling political party, United Russia, used their supermajority in parliament to force through the legislation without the support of any other faction. And now the Federation Council and President Putin must support the law, and it will enter force on June the 1st. And the thing is, it basically means that um, everything outside of pure school education has to be coordinated and admissions acquired and paperwork necessary. Uh, you need to have a lot of paperwork and everything to even be able to hold any public lectures or to you know, make a scientific YouTube channel, and that involves mathematics and, and everything, basically. So, these guys even could get into prison, these scientists, if they decide to do any lecture work outside of purely university stuff, which all of them basically do, because that's the Academy of Sciences and they hold public events all the time. Because the reasoning for this law was that, um, quote, <clears throat> Evil Western values are ruining our children's minds, so we should control what information they acquire outside of school much better. I'm serious, they're trying to control popular science YouTubers, and that's obviously so that you wouldn't teach the Russian kids and Russian people in general any wrong information. For example, I would, if I was in Russia, I would definitely fall under this, and I would be totally restricted, and... That's kind of the reason why I think that many kind of podcasts even in Russian will just stop existing and many YouTube channels in Russian will stop existing. Because, well, imagine if you're making something historical and Russia also has laws about not falsifying history, which basically means not stating the truth and just running with whatever Russian government states, which, oh, guess what, um, is 99.9% of the time lying because by this point you should know that if Russian authorities and Dmitry Peskov says something, you do the opposite of the charity principle and presume that they're lying. You start out with the basic assumption that the Russian government is lying and the burden of proof is always at them because they've lied so much and they did massive lies and they enforce lies and fake news even like this month and they do so much crazy stuff that you have to presume they're lying. At all cases. And then if they suddenly don't lie about something, then you're surprised and kind of wonder, wow, how did that happen? In general, this law, together with the decision to not publish the findings, puts more stress on the scientists, and you can understand why they would do that. Because even science, right now, is forced to basically follow political processes, which is never a nice thing. So, with this, we'll end. This month's look at the political events in Russia, and I hope you learned something new that definitely wasn't on your main news feed, because I presume that 
everyone in the West has already spoken about Navalny's illness, and everyone knows that. But, well, not much really happened. Otherwise, if something super important happens, we'll let you know. Next month, we'll be back to our tank series, and we'll do an episode on Laika, and we'll dig deeper into kind of more ancient history of the eastern border. I'm still in between moving places, and I can't finish my Alaskan episodes, but Russian Alaska needs a finishing episode, and, well, Stalin series need to continue at one point as well. Also, don't forget that if you want to support the show, you can always click the donate button on the Eastern Border Dial Wii website, or just become our patron at patreon.com slash border, or you can just visit rusensov.com and buy something there. You know, Russian and Soviet-themed souvenirs, Russian avant-garde-themed souvenirs, bunch of Soviet stuff like t-shirts and posters and all that thing. And don't forget to use Eastern Border at checkout for a 10% discount. And that way, you help support the show too, because, well, they're our sponsors and we get a bit of each purchase that you make. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'm sorry for that being rushed, I'm still on the cow farm after all. Once I get to a permanent settlement location, then then we'll be back for another historical show. And remember, happiness is mandatory. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.